0: Well, with that, let's pray. Well, so we're in Genesis chapter 4. We're going to reread what we covered last week and then to ease into our section today. Um, so, Father, we do thank you and praise you uh, for this day, Lord, as uh, you know, we felt an earthquake. Um, Lord, it's, whenever we're confronted with these, these events of, um, you know, what the, what these natural events, uh, Lord, we, we recognize Lord, how powerful you are when fires come through, when earthquakes happen, when these storms come. We, we truly realize how uh, small our lives are in light of all of creation. And so, Father, as we just sang in this song, uh, my life I place into your hands. I, I pray, Lord, that that would actually become a reality of our lives, that we would place our lives into your hand, and that we would trust you uh, with how you deal with us, the ups and the downs. Uh, may we honor you uh, with all that you have blessed us with. Uh, Father, as we turn our attention uh, to the word today, Lord, we um, we ask, Lord, that your spirit would lead us through this passage, that you would give us understanding and clarity And, and Father, that you would show us areas of application in our own life um, that we can learn and grow and and just apply. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Again, we covered this last week, but I'm going to use it sort of as an introduction. Uh, Now, the man had relations with his wife, Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man child with the help of the Lord. Again, she gave birth to his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of flocks. But Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you but you must master it. Cain told Abel, his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. And Father, we do thank you for your word. We ask, Lord, that as we look at this story, that you would lead us and guide us. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right. Uh, so, this we need to sort of set the stage for today from last week because we we broke the story up last week. Um, as I as I looked at the text, there was so much of this thread of 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 anger and what resulted uh, from from anger. We're we're introduced to Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve. Um, they conceived. They they had this this child. Uh, Cain, um, Abel was introduced, sort of. In the sort of in the wake of Cain, and so we, we see that there are different vocations they each made their offering we don 't know much about uh, what was instructed of them. Uh, we know that one made Abel made the offering of the, the animal sacrifice, the other had you know fruits, grains, things of the earth, that which he did uh, at first reading there 's no there doesn't seem to be any issue. There doesn't seem to be any problem or obvious sort of wrong that was committed. We just see that God had regard for one and he didn't have regard for the other. As we read into the New Testament, we learn that from, from Hebrews 11.4, that Abel's offering was offered by faith and that he trusted God. There was, there was this element of faith in this example that was used by him. Uh, Cain, we're not so sure and then God approached him and he sees his anger and it's almost like God is trying to say hey don't do anything you're going to regret like master your anger you have the opportunity to do well and sin is crouching at the door so don't go that direction but obviously Cain goes the direction and he he murders his brother uh, somebody said this is like the the first time somebody truly danced with evil uh, Adam and Eve they, they stumbled into temptation, they ate the fruit, they did wrong. But this, sort of in this new order of, of the world, this fallen nature, th- this is true evil, a brother murdering his brother. And so we find ourselves in this moment of, of just raw sort of terror and horror and, and just brutality. And the question is, like, like, how would God respond or how will God respond to this act that was just committed. I I think about myself like, how would I respond if I was God? Uh, how do I respond when I see uh, evil happening around me? Uh, Charles Swindoll says, had you or I been in charge of the case, we likely would have pounded the gavel and said, justice is served, but God is gracious. So if I was there, I'd be like, okay, that's it. We're just going to deal with you. Um, what does God do? Verse 9, then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And so he's immediately on the spot. God immediately responds and he asks this question, hey, where's, where's your brother? Um, uh, the first thing I see is that God is like right there. Um, and there's a whole bunch of things that sort of spawn up in my mind in this text about God's response. So the, the first is like, like, we can't hide from God. Like you, you can think that you have your sins and the things that you're getting away with, but God is, is there, and He is aware of the things that you're trying to get, uh, you're trying to pull off behind his back. Uh, David writes in Psalm 1397, "Where can I go from your spirit, or "Where can I flee from your presence?" And he lists all of these different locations, and the, the answer is that there's nowhere that we can go to flee from God, that God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. He is intimately involved in our lives the the second question that 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 you know bounces through my brain this week that i don't know that i'm just going to have the capacity to like uh deal with like i almost don't even know that i want to open the can of worms but it's a can of worms that certainly we've all grappled with and and the question that sort of comes to mind is like if God is so immediate and is responding, like then why did He allow this to happen? Like like why like why did this occur? Couldn't have God intervened and stopped this from happening? And certainly God could have, but in this new this realm, this, this is the, this is the world that we live in, that God and His sovereignty has allowed this sort of freedom of humanity to choose or not to choose, to choose uh, Him or to reject Him. And sort of in that, I don't want to say the gamble, but in this, this, this system so that God can true, allow true love to occur to him or true rebellion. He hasn't created a bunch of robots in his sovereignty. There is now this sort of this option for, for evil to happen. And so we, we deal with this in this world. Like all of us have had to deal with like evil at some level in our lives. Like we're, we're faced with it. We're confronted with it. And then in my own life, as I faced it, I've had to come to terms with like, well, God is sovereign. And the the events that have happened to me, I have to, I've come to the terms with like, God has allowed this happen to like in his sovereignty to mold, to shape me, to allow me to become who I am. On the other side of the coin, I also recognize that nobody's getting away with anything ultimately. Like in this life, you might feel like you get away with something, but but you're not. In Hebrews chapter four, verses 13, the new living translation, I like the way it words it. It says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. And so each of us are going to give an account. Every murderer is going to give an account. Every rapist is going to give an account. Every person who has abused their child, their spouse, innocent victim, all of these people are going to give an account that, before God. They're not going to get away with it. And so there's this peace and understanding that we each are going to give an account. And I love how God goes about this. Like, I mean, it's so not my nature and how I would have dealt with it. God knows what has just happened. And yet He approaches, he approaches Cain with the question, like, where's your brother? He knows exactly where his brother is, and I think that there's so much that we can learn from this in our own lives. This example of God, this asking question. God knows the answer. He doesn't have to. He could. He could condemn him right away. I don't have the luxury of omniscience, and yet so often I'm quick to condemn somebody without having all the facts or the other side of the story. And I think that there's something that we can use from this, like, you know, your kid's up to no good and say, instead of coming out like, what did you do? Well, no, that'd be good. What did you do? We're like, what's going on here? Asking questions. And I think that God is leaving room still in his graciousness for Cain to repent, to own, like, I did something really bad. I did something wrong. It seems like God's giving him this opportunity continually to, like, to come clean with what he's done. And he said, this is Cain speaking, I do not know. So he's answering the question. This is an outright lie. I do not know where my brother is. And then he pushes back even harder against God, almost confrontationally. He says, am I my brother's keeper? So he says, I don't know. That's an outright lie. This is sort of contrasted with Adam, his father's half-truth when he was busted. Remember Adam, when he was busted, he's like, ah, we're naked and we were kind of hiding. And they're like, well, how do you know about this? Like, there was like a half-truth there. This is just an outright, I just murdered my brother, and I'm telling you that I don't know where he is, and who are you to ask me these questions? Like, am I his keeper? And this almost seems like it's confrontational with God, this arrogance, this like, who do you think you are telling me what to do? You said you wanted bloodshed for your sacrifices. I gave you some bloodshed, like kind of, this is harsh and ugly. Henry Morris says he compounded his wickedness by blatantly blatantly lying to God and challenging his right to even question him. Thus does long-cherished sin harden a man's heart and pervert his senses. God, therefore, can no longer speak to Cain in mercy, but only in judgment. I think there's so much in that as we dabble with sin, as we begin to go the way of Cain, as the New Testament writes about, our conscience begins, become seared and we get calloused hearts and we we no longer really hear what God is saying or leading us to do. And in verse 10, we read, he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. And so God's questioning moves from where is your brother to what did you do? Like, what did you do here? He says your brother's blood is crying out from the ground, that it's testifying against you. And then he goes on to say this, remember, Cain's vocation was was harvesting from the ground, working the soil. And he says, now as as, as a consequence for the thing you've done, the blood that you've spilt in the ground has, has basically poisoned the ground for you to work, that it's no longer going to be as prosperous for you, that it's been contaminated. I saw my wife leave and I heard some like... Some, Lord have mercy on the Sunday school teachers back there. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, that's right. Debbie was up to no good this morning. I remember seeing that. She was filling up a bucket of water, so something is going on that's, that's sanctioned by the teacher. It's not just total rebellion out there. And they're probably right there. Reading about you know Cain and Abel and the brothers, it's like, oh, man, my kids uh, Okay, so, like, like, what do we think about this punishment? Like, like this, this whole, this guy is the first person in the world to have a kid brother. He murders him. God goes to him and says, what, like, what's going on? And he shakes his fist at God and he says, I'm not my brother's keeper when he, he shed his blood on the ground. And then God comes to him and he basically says like his punishment is that uh it's going to be it's going to be hard for you to like grow your lettuce and your carrots and whatever else he was growing like it's going to be difficult for you to grow food and you're going to be more of a wanderer on the earth like I don't know about you but this seems pretty soft to me like like I want more punishment. Like one of the things that I think we're seeing, like in the news, is uh, we want the laws to be sort of enforced more. Seems to be the consensus of people that that people who are committing heinous crimes are being re- released from prison. We're like, no, 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 like they should they should like do get some punishment. And this is like a a heinous crime, and it seems so like soft. Now we have to remember where we also find ourselves in human history. The story is, is unfolding that, that sin has, has entered the scene of human history. These are the, the next two or maybe three and four people that exist. By the fourth person, we have our first murder over worship. And things are going to start snowballing between, like, this week and next week, looking at all the lineage of all the people and all the things that are happening. Like, a lot of evil begins to happen so that by the beginning of chapter 6, God said, this whole situation on earth is an absolute disaster. We're going to have to have some consequences. And as a result, he selects Noah, his wife, his boys. They build the ark. God floods the earth. As the flood subsides, Noah steps out of the ark. And one of the new sort of institutions that God creates is sort of the, the, the order of government. And, and, and namely with government, capital punishment is instituted. And he says that human life, because humans have been created in my image, if someone takes another person's life, their life Needs to be accounted for, and their life will be taken. And it's out of the preservation, out of the respect for human life, that capital punishment is sort of initiated. But we find ourselves in this story where, like, capital punishment doesn't exist yet. Like, murder, this is the first murder that we've seen. And so God gives this punishment. My assumption is that we all look at the story and go, man, this, this, this sure is a little bit soft on punishment. And it is really funny to me, like in myself, I'm not going to project this on you, but I'm going to project it on me because I know it to be true, is like I'm okay with God going soft on me, but I want him to go harsh on everybody else. And so like, so the question is like, how would Cain take his medicine? Like how is he going to respond I put myself in Cain's shoe. Of course, I'm going to put myself in a better light than Cain. I'm mean, oh, thank you, God, you're so gracious to me. Like I, I'm, thank you for you could have done so much worse to me. This seems really light, but that's not how Cain responds. In this, in uh, the next two verses between 13 and 14, and Cain's response, you'll notice the word "I" and "me" about six times. If I've counted right, it's all about Cain. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is too great to bear. Behold, you have driven me this day from the face of the ground and from your face I will be hidden and I will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. Although he's the one who's the murderer, he's now turned himself into the victim. His reaction is all about himself and this is super consistent with our sinful nature is that we turn it into ourselves and how, how bad it is for me. There's no repentance. There's no confession of sin. There's no apology to God. He's, he, there's not even a sorry that he got busted in this. Like, I'm sorry that I got caught. There, it's, oh, woe is me. My punishment is so horrible. I can no longer farm. I can no longer see your face. I have to wander the earth for the rest of my life. No one will love me and they're all going to try to kill me. This is so terrible. How could you do this to me, God? And so the Lord said to him, therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain so that no one finding him would slay him. And so even as Cain complains, God says, okay, I'll provide some protection for you. Like if anyone kills you, basically what's being said here, you kill Cain, God's going to take seven members of your family and they're going to be killed, sevenfold. And so there's this protection over Cain. And then it seems that God is going to continue pursuing Cain, hoping that he would come to repentance and that he would come into a relationship with God. He's protecting him. He's hoping that God or that God will, he's protecting him, hoping that Cain will soften his heart towards God. It's like what Paul writes in Romans 2, 4, or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Like so much of God's nature in in, in developing us and bringing us into a relationship with him is not about his harshness. It's about his kindness and his gentleness with, with us. Like, I'm so thankful for God's, like, mercy in my own life, so thankful that God, like, forgives over and over and over again, so grateful that God just continually says, okay, you blew it, Gunner. Let's try again. Gunnar goes again. He blows it again. He says, okay, let's try this again. Like, if you're alive, you haven't, like, worn out God's patience. He's still working in you. He's still working in me. And so then we come to this section in the Bible that we all love, genealogies. It's wonderful, right? So-and-so begat so-and-so. So So we're going to work through this section. It's actually, there's some interesting things, I think, in here, or maybe I was searching, really really hard for something but we read verse 16 so then cain went out from the presence of the lord and he settled in the land of nod east of the jordan i one commentator pointed out i thought it was kind of funny so i'll share it with you kind of cheesy joke here as he began the section of genealogies he starts with the land of nod so everybody starts falling asleep and uh so so Cain goes out from the presence of the Lord. He he leaves the presence of the Lord. He settles in this land of Nod, which is east of Eden. Cain had relations with his wife, which this, this uh begs the question of like where does wife come from? Any volunteers? Or is everybody left? <laughs> it's obviously his sister. Like like it's it's I wasn't really planning. I think John's going to handle this. You know, like, that's what he always does to me, right? So this is before any regulations about stuff. We have a very pure gene pool because it's the very beginning. Um, it was part of God's plan to populate the earth, and then sort of the rules and restrictions is like people began to like go about that that restrictions about what who who not what who you could marry uh, and. And so he has a wife. They have children. This is just how population began early on. So Cain had relations with his wife and she conceived and she gave birth to Enoch. This is not the Enoch that would come later. This is a different Enoch. And built a city and he called the name of, and called the name of the city Enoch after the name of his son. Now Enoch was born. Now to Enoch was born Irad and Irad became the father of uh, Mehujael, and Mehujael became the father of Methusiel, not Methuselah, and Methusiel became the father of Lamech. So we go through all of these genealogies. Seven generations. So we're seven generations removed from Adam, and we come to Lamech, and Lamech turns out to be a pretty bad guy. It's, it's basically his sort of pod of family members is where the, the the, the genealogy of Cain comes to an end. The Bible ends it abruptly. It ends here. It's sad. It's, it's, it's a sad tale. And so as Lamech is introduced, Lamech took to himself two wives. So he took two wives. This isn't endorsed in the Bible. It happens throughout the New Testament, but it seems to go against God's nature from everything that I can see, that God created a one woman for one man in Adam and Eve. That was his intention. We see it in the New Testament and the requirements of church leaders that those that are leaders in the church are to be literally one women, men. And so here, this guy takes two wives. It's very fascinating to me. Like even in the taking of two wives, only men have been listed so far in the in the genealogy following uh, the the people. But here with his two wives, each of his wives are named. So we have sort of this, this split in the family tree. So he took two wives. The name of one was Adah and the name of the other, Zillah. Not Zillow, the house searching place. Adah gave birth to Jabal and he was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. So wife number one had a son named Jabal. He lived in tents and he had livestock. I, I think of like a Bedouin in the Middle East today. His brother's name was Jubal. Did I get that right? And he was the father of those who played the lyre. And, okay, gave, okay, that's Jubal and Jubal. I thought I was reading stuff well, but there's just a one little U difference. And he was the father of those who play the lyre and the pipe. So one son was a Bedouin, the other son was a musical guy. As far as Zilla, she gave birth to Tubal Cain, the forger of all implements of bronze and iron. So this is significant. So now we're going through human history. Uh, Bronze and iron are where we get tools from. These didn't really exist before this, and so now it's believed that like now weapons and various tools could could happen. Um, So there's a son, Tubal Cain. And the sister of tubal came was Nama. And at the end of his life, Lamech said to his, his, his wives, Adah and Zillah, listen to, my, listen to my voice, you wives of Lamech. Give heed to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me and a boy for striking me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. And so it's just really this, this, just this sad outpouring of Cain's genealogy. Cain goes his way. We see his, his line makes it about seven generations. It sort of ends with his whatever great-grandson this is in Lamech. He takes two wives, and the last thing out of his mouth, I killed a guy, and I killed a boy. And it It ends. And it's tragic. And when we look at this genealogy next week, we're going to get into another genealogy. And it's interesting in that, so in verse 1 of chapter 5, if you'll just look down, just I want to kind of lay some like foundation here. So if you go to chapter 5, verse 1, it says, This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day when God created man, he created him in the likeness of God, he created the man and female. And so he follows Adam's sort of genealogy. In verse 16 of chapter 4, there's Cain's genealogy. But if you line these two guys up, what you'll see is you follow Cain's genealogy down. But then next week when we start, it's going to, it's going to go kind of back to Adam and then come back down. And you can kind of see these two lines. Many commentators will say that like Cain's line is all evil and uh, Seth's line is all good. And I don't know that I necessarily by that based on where we end up in chapter six. But it's very interesting that as you like follow these down, there's Lamech, this evil guy. And if you follow the other one down, most people believe that the other Enoch, the, the good Enoch, that, that he was, and then he just was no more, that God just took him. It's believed that Lamech and Enoch were contemporaries of one another, that they lived during the same time frame. And so you have this, these, these contrasting like, family lines of really a family line, as the New Testament said, that walked by faith. And then you have the other one that was of the flesh. And they just stand in stark contrast. And then we come to verse 25. Adam had relations with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth. For she said, God appointed me another offspring in place of Abel, for Cain killed him. And so we have this birth of his son, Seth. Seth seems to be sort of the, the replacement son. You know, you can't replace a puppy. Like, it's like a puppy died. Like, oh, we're not replacing the puppy. But there seems to be this, this God gave Seth because Cain took Abel. And that last phrase, for Cain killed him, like the, the bitterness and the sorrow, like, I don't think that we can highlight this enough like Adam and Eve, this isn't like a parent who just lost one son. They lost two sons. They, they, they lost Abel and they also lost Cain. And so here they are, all of the promise of like what was to come in Genesis 3.15 seems to be taken from them. And then God gives them, Seth, this like new life, new hope that the promise is still alive. And in verse 26, we read, to Seth, to him also a son was born, and born, and he called his name Enosh. Then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. And so Seth has a son. Uh, this is going to pick up as we get into chapter five. If you get to verse six in chapter five, you'll see the birth of of Seth's son. So you kind of can line up the stories if you're really into genealogies. And so with Seth, the the promise of Genesis three fifteen continues, and this last phrase. They say this is the first revival in human history, that Seth is born. He has a son. And then at this point, men begin to call upon the name of the Lord. It's like men bow their hearts before God. They reach out to him. They cry out to him. And the story is tragic. And so, like, what do we do with it? Like, I've been this, like, all week. I've been, like, tossing and turning going, like, what do we do with this? Like, there's a genealogy. This is, like, a horrible story of, like, a brother killing a brother. You have God who seems to be going, like, really light in the punishment. And, like, like, what do we do with it? And so I kind of looked at the different characters that we're introduced to. So starting from Abel. Like, like Abel really, I'm not into acting, but there's, like, or watching, like, movies and doing it. But it's, like, this plot, like, when you have a character who's, like, on the side and there's a really small part. What do you, Is that called something? Oh, what's that? I'm looking, looking at her face. She knows I'm like a background. I call her a background character, background character, like a sub, like a sub person. Like he's there. He makes his offering. He's killed, and then it's like following Cain. But the reality is, is that Abel has this like huge storyline, even though he really doesn't like. All, he makes this offering to God. His huge storyline. That what we learn from Abel in this story is we learn about like righteousness and faith, and what undefiled worship is all about. Here's this guy who made his offering to God. Hebrews 11.4, as we read about the heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, the author of Hebrews kicks off with Abel. That here is a guy that if you want to know what true righteousness looks like, it means that you make your sacrifices, your offerings by faith to the Lord, that you trust him. We also learn from Abel A little bit about suffering and persecution. Walking with God and following after Christ doesn't mean that we're like in the clouds and like cotton candy and everything goes our way and that there's never any suffering. Like so often the path of righteousness is marked with suffering. And so here this individual, like his life is just getting started and he's cut down by his brother over his act of faithfulness. And so from Cain, like so much of last week was dealing with like anger. And in Cain, we see the dangers of, of our own sin and bitterness and, and, and things that, that take root in our hearts that we have to deal with. God warns him, don't let, don't give in. Sin is there waiting to crouch. This is an evil world you look in. You need to walk in a way understanding that the days are evil. Turn your eyes upon Christ. Seek him, trust him. Don't give in to the temptations that seem like they're going to like reward you. They might reward you in the immediate, but ultimately they're going to lead to dangerous and, and terrible places. We're going to give an account, and ultimately Cain did give an account for his life. The next character really, or intertwined in this whole story, is God. Like I can't, as I look at this story, I feel like the Bible constantly reminds me that God is a merciful God, that God is a gracious God, that God is a God who continually pursues after us, continually gives us opportunities to respond. This is a God that, be, that begot his only son who would go to the cross to die for me and to make a way to, that, that I could have a relationship with God, that my sin was placed upon Christ, your sin was placed upon Christ, The sin of the world was placed upon Christ and God is saying, come to him and receive life and forgiveness and and new birth. It's available to you. But he's not going to force himself on us. And then we're introduced to this character, Seth, that out of this death and darkness, there's hope. There's like this new beginning, new life. A new hope for Adam and Eve, and the whole promise that the Messiah would come through one of their sons and I love that in the in the old testament there 's like a bunch of really rough stories that we 're going to have to deal with like as we go through Genesis, but in the midst of the darkness there 's always this like flicker of of light and hope that God is there and he 's doing something, and so often. In the midst of the darkness, there's this like remnant of followers who are faithful, and we see how God leads them and cares for them. We live in a world that is dark. We live in a world that there's a lot of evil out there. We live in a world where it can be really discouraging. But I want to be a part of this group in the midst of this darkness that keeps my eyes on Christ and recognizes that in, that, that in him there is hope, and I don't have to be discouraged. I don't have to lose hope that he is doing something. And so with that, we'll close. We'll pray here and we can look forward to next week's genealogy. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for this story of uh, Cain and Abel. It is such a tragic story to, to, to think that so early in, in human history, that two brothers would come to this place where one would get so mad that he would kill the other. It, it's heartbreaking. It's, it's ugly. It, it's tragic. And in the midst of the story, Lord, we see that you are moving. I pray, Father, that in this story, you would help each one of us to see how we're a little bit like Cain, that each one of us has this capacity for anger and uh, losing our self-control and, and just erupting. And so, Father, I pray that as we uh, see ourselves in Cain, Lord, that you would continue to do that work in our lives where we are transformed by the renewing of your Spirit, that we uh, have our lives exchanged Father, we thank you that as we give our lives to Christ, that you give us the spirit, that you seal us for the day of redemption and that he dwells within us and that his fruit manifests itself in our life. And we pray, Father, that you would help us to walk with you humbly throughout our days, that we would seek your mercy, that we would seek your grace, and that we would be able to be people who love you, that we love others, and that we shine a light to this world around us. We pray, Father, that you would help us to be a people who really points people to Christ, the ultimate hope, the ultimate joy, because in him that's the only place that we can truly find peace. And we thank you, God, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen.